Good evening. It is good to be together, to worship together at the end of a hopefully restful Lord's Day. Let's begin with, my faith looks up to thee. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray, take all my guilt away, oh let me from this day be join me in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, how holy is your name, Father. I thank you so much for the, the love and the blessings you have on us. Most of all, for the blessings that we have through your Son and your Spirit, Father, to strengthen us, to help us talk to you in ways that, that we don't know how. Be with us, Father, that you forgive our transgressions. Strengthen us. Help us to show your light to a world that's lost, Father. Bless those that are here serving, seeking to do your will. Strengthen them. Help them, help us to help them, that we all can grow, that we all could uh, grow to a, a greater understanding, uh, a fuller faith, a stronger faith, Father. Be with us this evening as, as we listen, that our ears will be attentive, that we can take something away, we can be strengthened, we can be touched in a way, Father, that will be strengthened in your service. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
how to start thinking about the memorial in which we are about to participate events and the things that Christ taught on the very last night that he was on the earth as, as a mere mortal. Sing number 332, Lead Me to Calvary. Sing the first and last stanza. <clears throat> King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn crown brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget Let us pray together as we partake of the bread. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross. Not that we're thankful for the torture that he went through, but we're thankful, Father, for the ultimate price that he, that he paid for us to have a chance to be with you in heaven. Father, as we partake of this bread, may it... Uh, be a blessing to you that we partake of it in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. continue in prayer. Father, we are thankful for the blood that was shed on that cross for our sins. That blood of the of your precious lamb that is the only blood that can wash away our sins. 
Father, we're ever mindful every day of the of that flowing blood that helps cleanses us. Father, maybe we partake of this fruit of the vine in a manner pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Again, Father, we come to you separate and apart from that memorial, thanking you for the many blessings that we receive every day. Father, blessings that we often take for granted in our day-to-day -day lives, but if we take some time to look around, we understand that all of these blessings come from you, all of these things that we have in our lives and the homes and the clothes we have, many things that other people we, we may know that uh, aren't, aren't blessed to have. Father, we pray that the funds that are collected here at this congregation are used in accordance to your will, that, um, that the elders look to you for guidance, that um, your work may continue not only here locally but throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before Matt brings our lesson, let's uh, stand and sing. <clears throat> oh, for a faith that will not shrink. Sing all four stanzas. <clears throat> oh, for a faith that will not shrink. All right, so tonight I'm hoping, I'm hoping we will finish Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. 
I really have it set up to finish, but um, there's a lot of information to go through. It's one of those moments where uh, one verse talks about so much stuff, and then we've got about eight verses to get through. So, let's start with the scripture. It says, and what more, so we're in verse 32 of chapter 11, we've gotten all the way down to verse 32, and it says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. He says, listen, I don't, there's not enough time in the day to explain everything about all these people's lives, right? So I thought, why not? Let's try. Gideon, let's start there. Everybody remembers a little bit of Gideon's story, right? Everybody remembers that he started with the 32,000 men and slowly through a process. The first, the first process where he lost the biggest chunk of men was just simply he asked his army, hey, if you're afraid, you can go home. If you're afraid, you can go home. And I forget if it was 20 or 22 now that I'm up here, but I forget it's either 20 or 22,000. They left right then. I'm pretty sure it was 20, and I think he was left with 12,000. But he goes through a process to where he gets to the 300, and then at the 300, he's ready to go to battle. And who's he going against? Well, he's going against the Midianites and the Amalekites. This is Judges 7:12. It says, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east, all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sands that is on the seashore in abundance. Imagine the sight that those Israelites saw under Gideon when they went and they started out with 32,000 and they got to 300. Do you think any of that 300 was looking at Gideon going, why did you let everybody go? It's kind of a big task, isn't it? Well, we know he defeats them. We know God sends them into chaos and disorder just like Similar to what we talked about this morning, God sends them into chaos and disorder, and not only are they in disarray and trying to run away as fast as they can, but they're killing each other in the process, in the chaos. And those 300 men destroy that army whose camels could not be numbered, who were like locusts at the plague. Their numbers were so many. Those 300. So after that, after that battle, Israel, they are in awe. They are in awe of Gideon. And some of us might have forgot this part, but Saul was not the first person that was to be brought up to be king of Israel. Look what they say here in Judges 8 to Gideon. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, be our king, rule over us. You say, ah, that might not mean rule over us. Okay, he says, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson. In other words, start a lineage. We want your lineage to be our ruler. We want you as our king. 
For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. <clears throat> and Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. You see, when you put that in that moment where Samuel goes to God to say, I'm sorry, I failed you. They rejected me. He says, no, no, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. I was their king. Gideon understood that. My, my, how the temptation would have been to come from a great battle, have the entire country behind you, and you say no? No, I'm not supposed to be your king. Only God can be your king. All right, what about Barak? Barak was essentially the lead warrior under the judge Deborah. Deborah was also a prophetess, says it right there in Scripture. And here was the problem. Judges 4, verse 1 says, And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And that is something, if you read Judges, you see after each judge, Israel goes back to their chaos, their life of living for themselves, doing whatever they want, until another judge is raised by God to save them from the trouble they've put themselves in. That's what happens over and over in the book of Judges. So Ehud has died, and now they're in trouble again. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now that's interesting, isn't it? And I know most of us know this, but I'm just going to bring it up real quick. I thought the Canaanites were supposed to be destroyed by Joshua and the 12 tribes when they came into the land. See, this is the problem. If they would have listened and they would have done what God would have said, there would be a lot of stuff in Scripture that would have never happened. And it's really the bad stuff that happens to Israel because they didn't listen to God that puts them in these situations over and over and over again. Kind of like what it says in verse 1. So here's the king of Canaan, Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sesera. It says in verse 3, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900, yeah, you saw what I did there, Chuck? He had 900 <laughs> chariots of iron. If you can say that name, go ahead. Herosheth Hagayim. I don't know. <laughs> Since I got busted, I'll just try it, right? And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So he had these 900 chariots of iron. He's got this army that nobody wants to mess with. And he is not just... Um, making it difficult for him, he is, again, he's ruling over them. He is, has invaded them. And here they are in a mess. So Deborah tells Barak, go get 10,000 men and go handle this army. And Barak's looking at her. And, and I, I think this is so interesting I think this really is one of those moments where you can really see the faith of Barak. Because he doesn't say, ah, oh, I need more men. I don't know, 10,000 men, that's all you want me to go with? And if you read in Judges 4, which I don't have time to read the whole thing for you, just, just like the Hebrew writer said, right? But if you read Judges 4, you will find out that he gets 10,000 men like this. Like he says, hey guys, I need 10,000 men. And they show up like tomorrow. So he probably could have got even more men. 
But that's not what he's worried about. He's not worried about their numbers. He looks back at Deborah and says, are you going to go with me? If you go with me, I will go, and I will know that the enemy, that, that King Jabin, that he is in our hand, that the Lord is going to win this battle for us. If you go with me. And she says, of course I'm going to go with you. Now, Barak is the mighty warrior. Deborah's the prophetess. He wants the word of God. Not the might of men. If you don't know the rest of this, it's actually very interesting and quite graphic. You see this Sisera guy, he's, he's the general of the army, and Deborah actually prophesies that he will be killed by a woman. And when Barak leads his army down to fight with, with uh, King Jabin's army, they overcome them. And when they overcome them, Sisera, he escapes, he evades, he runs away, and he finds himself at this tent of, the, of this woman. We'll leave her name out. And he's like, I need something to drink. Give me some milk, give me some water, give me something, I need something to drink. And so she goes and she gets him something to drink, and then she puts him in, his, in her tent, and he says, hey, if anybody comes here and they're looking for me, tell them I'm not here and tell them to go away. She's like, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. Then when he goes to sleep, goes to sleep she takes a hammer and a stake from her tent, and Cesara is no more. It's in there. Check it out. So this mighty general of one of the most mighty armies of the land that's been oppressing Israel is killed because, well, he's just a man. And after fighting all day, he was exhausted. And he couldn't hold his eyes open anymore and couldn't defend himself. And then the chapter 4 ends like this. Verse 23, it says, So on that day, that day being the day that Sesera was killed by the woman with the tent stake, God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Starting to see a pattern yet? Oh boy, it's about to get really long, this sermon is, isn't it? We just, went to, we just went through two people that only had a small little sliver about them. We're getting into Samson, we're getting into David. Anybody sweating yet? <laughs> Samson constantly beat back the Philistines. Was he perfect? No, did he have his flaws? Yeah, we talked about him pretty extensively this morning. Of course, we didn't talk about the fact that his first wife was a Philistine. 
Even though his parents said, I don't think you should do that, Samson. There's got to be a beautiful Israelite woman here for you. And he's like, no, no, no. She'll complete me. That's the one for me. And then the Philistines, after he gets married to her, takes her and gives them to his best man. And he gets to look at that strongest man in the world. Can't do nothing about his wife going to his best friend. And we could go through the accolades of Samson, but the reality is, is what did God use Samson to do? Beat back the Philistines. In that last moment where he is, his eyes have been gouged out, He's lost all of his power because, because he told Delilah the truth, even after she tried to deceive him three times. I won't stress that again. He's sitting there in essentially a coliseum, however you want to see it. He's sitting in this, in this place where he is for their entertainment. Here's the great Samson, the man who's been killing all of our men, the man who's been a plague for us, being the Philistines, and 3,000 of the most powerful people in all of that country are there watching this for entertainment. And he prays in repentance to God. And God restores his strength and he brings down the house, not on all, just all of them, but on himself too. Crippling the Philistine nation. Jephthah. Jephthah's an interesting char character. The, the reality is, is he helps defeat an invading Ammonite army. But he gets excited. And this one's interesting to me that he's in Hebrews 11. I, I understand he, he had an amazing run of battles where he rids the land, if you will, of all these invaders that are plaguing Israel. But in his um, um, excitement, in his exuberance for what is going on, he says to God, hey, if if you help me win this last battle, if you help me completely defeat the Ammonites, then when I get home, the first thing that comes out of my house to see me, I will sacrifice to you. See, I think people don't talk about this very much because this one's a hard one to handle. This one is really hard to, the more I studied it, I just got more confused. Because when he gets home after God's delivered him the victory, guess what the first thing is that comes out to greet him? It's his daughter. That's right, Susan. It's his daughter. And his daughter comes out to greet him and he's devastated. He realizes what he said to the Lord. He's devastated. He is broken over it. Wouldn't you be? And the more and more I thought about it, I was thinking to myself, like, what, what was he expecting to come out? It wasn't like his favorite book was going to grow legs and walk out. Oh, man, i got to burn my favorite book. And obviously I'm being facetious, but what did he expect? Did he have an old dog that he loved, but, you know, he knew it was time to put it down? I, mean, I don't know. But it's such a weird thing to even do. And there is nothing in the scripture that says that God wanted it. And to make the scripture even harder, 
just to bring up a, a rabbit hole that I'm really not going to go down. I'll just let you wrestle with it because I've been wrestling with it. But just to make things harder, his daughter comes out, sees him broken, and is like, Dad, what is wrong? You've just won this tremendous victory. You have just, you have just saved us from invaders. What is wrong? And he tells her. And she's like, if that's what you promised God, that's what we got to do. His daughter says that. And this is the weirdest part of the scripture to me because, you know, we get to that moment when it, people don't like it when I say scripture's weird. But tell me how this isn't weird. Right? Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. God, no, we're not doing that. You've passed the test. We're not doing that. Well, I wish I could tell you. I, in fact, as I was studying, I just wanted the script. I knew where it was going to go, and I wanted it to change every time I read it. But she actually tells her dad, hey, before we do this, I'm a virgin. Give me a couple months. Let me and my friends go and mourn my virginity. And then when I come back, we're going to do it. And they do it. That's exactly what happens. There's no happy ending to the story. There's no ram in the thicket. That's how it goes. You know that in Israel, they have a tradition, I think it still stands to this day, that on her birthday, Jephthah's daughter's birthday, they go and mourn her. And it's also, also supposed to be used to remind those girls how important it is to remain pure until they're married. I wish I could have just skipped that one. David, yet again, a conqueror of really many, many people who were problems for Israel. But probably his most famous battles were against the same people Samson was fighting. Goliath, the Philistines. This is who they were. And I could do series after series after series on David because there's a whole lot about him in the scriptures. But just like the Hebrew writer said, we're not going to sit here all day and do that to you. Most of us know his story well. It's Samuel. You know, one of the, I do want to say this. You know, David is interesting because he was a king. He was also a prophet. He was a prophet and a king. And another interesting thing is he was... It was not looked at him in a negative way when he ate the consecrated bread when he was fleeing for his life. And some people even say that that meant that God saw him as a priest as well. But he was definitely a prophet and he was definitely king of Israel. And under the United Kingdom, the United, not, not Great Britain or any of that, right? The United Kingdom of Israel, he was 
who's probably the, the greatest king. He certainly was the most godly king. So godly, in fact, even though he had a life that had plenty of mistakes and plenty of things you can look at and read for yourself and go, eh, probably wouldn't have done that, David. Such an amazing person, such an amazing heart for the Lord that not only is that referenced in Scripture, but Sam, Sam, um, um, Sam, who am I trying to say here? Solomon, thank you. Too much Samuel, Samson, Swanson. Solomon. God told Solomon, just be like your dad and you'll have a kingdom forever. Just be like your dad. Then you go to Samuel being the last judge, the one that the people reject because they want a king. And Samuel wasn't just a judge. He was also a prophet. He also anointed the kings of Israel. And we could say a lot more about him too, couldn't we? You could do series after series after series on so many of the people that are in Hebrews 11. And I think that's his point, is I could write for days about the amazing faith of the people who lived before you. And look what they did. I just want to read it again. Verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice. Enforced justice. When you read about the things that God tells Israel to do to the people of Canaan, remember they're enforcing justice. I like to bring this up all the time. Because when you go and you actually study what the Canaanites were doing, where they're from, which we will do in the future, I am working hard on it right now. When you go and you study, not just, not just what the Bible says about Canaan, but what other ancient scriptures, if you will, from other cultures that certainly don't believe in Yahweh God, write about Canaan, you will see exactly why God said destroy it. They're enforcing justice. Just want to be real clear about that. They're enforcing justice. Just like Israel falls, they lose their way, and somebody comes to punish them. God was enforcing justice even through other kings. Nebuchadnezzar was used by God to enforce justice. That's scripture too. Obtain promises. Stop the mouths of lions. Daniel, quench the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. They put foreign armies to flight, sent them pack and see you later. I didn't plan on going back, but it just made sense to go back real quick. Sorry. And then, I don't know, half of the Old Testament we could talk about on that last line, right? And then the Hebrew writer says this, women received back their dead by resurrection. We had that not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, right? 
It didn't just happen way back when. It also happened in the time right before this was written. And then he gets to the tough part. And this is the part to me that, you know, we don't, we certainly don't want to glamorize this. I, I certainly don't want to do a whole bunch of sermons on all the terrible things that the church went through in persecution. But sometimes it's important to remember because we live in a country, at least right now, where you're free and you can be comfortable worshiping Jesus. But there are people all over the world, just like we discussed, uh, I think on Wednesday night, that don't have that same security and they do it in secret out of fear for their lives because things like this will happen just because you love Jesus Christ. And that's why when Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. It's the same thing. It's the world. It's not a specific country. It's not a specific culture. It is the culture of the world that hates God, that hates the truth. And it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Why would they refuse to accept release? Because they had to denounce God to accept it. Daniel could have got out of his trouble if he would have just denounced God. Darius was tricked. He didn't want to put Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'd never go to the fiery furnace if they just denounced God. They refused to. So that they might rise again to a better life. They would rather die and go to heaven than live and miss out on heaven. Don't miss what that's saying. They would rather die and go to heaven than live and miss out on going to heaven. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. When I hear that, I think of Paul everywhere he went suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. Everybody who was converted with them that decided to travel with them suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, Stephen. They were sawn in two. And they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. You know, when I read this, I thought, oh, that's interesting, right? And Jesus himself talked about separating the sheep from the goats. And you go back and you look into this. Do you realize what it's saying? This was another way of mocking the people who followed Christ. It wasn't saying they were wearing wool, clothes made out of wool. Everybody, you still wear clothes made out of wool. If you got 100% cotton, anything, right? it's going to have some wool in it. Not 100% cotton, I'm sorry. Hybrid. If you get my pillows, Giza sheets, it's going to have wool in it. And we still wear clothes made out of these things. But when you look into it, when you look into what it's saying, people had the skins of sheep and goats sewn to their bodies. I'm not making this up. Go look it up. And we're forced to walk around with it to shame them for what they believed. It says they were destitute, 
afflicted, mistreated. Now I can tell you this, when I'm evangelizing a person, this isn't the first scripture I go to to, to explain to them what it means to uh, count the cost. Because this would scare most people. I don't take them to Nero and show them what Nero used to do as one of the greatest persecutors of all of Christianity in the world. But it did happen. And people did live through it. And you know what's scary is in some places in this world still today, this still goes on. And then he says, of whom the world was not worthy. You know, I just went through a list of amazing people in the scripture. People that we idolize, people again, Father Abraham, that we still sing songs about. People that did amazing things for the Lord. Powerful things for the Lord. Defeating Great militaries pushing people back with no odds, where the odds were completely against them, where nobody as a betting person would have bet for them. They would have all bet against them. And those are good. But it says these people who suffered greatly, the world didn't even deserve them. He lifts them, the Hebrew writer does, above the monumental names that he brings forward throughout the rest of the chapter. Because they were willing to die accepting heaven as their reward versus denounce God and potentially miss out. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth because they had to hide. Because if they went out in public, they were mistreated because of who they are and what they were known to worship. The one true living God. Don't miss this moment because these last couple verses are the most important verses in the whole scripture of Hebrews 11. which is why I underline the last one like this. <laughs> it's, to say, it's right where we started. It's right where we're going to end. Kind of makes you think of Paul a little bit, doesn't it? Read it a little more carefully. You might even see a little bit of hints of Peter. Read a little more carefully. You might even see, especially if you really look at the original language and the style of which it was written, you might even see a little bit of Luke. And you know, there's an interesting thing. One of these interesting things is there's one time where they're all together in the same place. And just maybe from a conversation they had together, maybe they wrote this book together. Maybe that's why nobody can figure out who actually wrote it. In fact, I'm just telling you, that's what I believe. 
I believe this is a mixture of Paul, Peter, and Luke. And I think Luke's the one that sat down and wrote it. And part of the reason why I think that is because of the way it's written, but we can get into that another day. And all these, and all these, the big names to the little names, to the unnamed, to the tortured, to the, to the, to the conquerors, to all of these. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive it. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, if you've been coming, then this should remind you of a conversation we had during our time when we were studying in 1 Corinthians and we were talking about this exact concept. And this is my big closer for that conversation that we had about when, do, when you die, do you go straight to heaven? And I told you, to me, it's like this, but everybody goes to the Father at the same time, but it's like this. There's no waiting place, and I know that everybody might have a different opinion on that, but what does he say at the very end? He says they haven't received their promise. They haven't. Present tense. While I'm writing this, they have not received the promise. Since God provided something better for us, that was Jesus Christ. That was the way to heaven that apart from us, that apart from us, not just the Hebrew writer, me and you to this day, are we part of that us? Of course we're part of that us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, here's the simple truth of the end of it. All of us live a life of faith based on a promise that none of us will receive unless we're of that last generation that sees the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of us fit into this category. And all of us are waiting on the thing that is to be provided that is better, which is heaven. And none of us will be made perfect without all of us. On the same day, in the same time, in the, dare I say, twinkling of an eye, all of us will be made perfect. That's the hall of faith. You're in it. Did you know you were in it? You're in it. So what do you do with it? Well, next week we're going to start the great cloud of witnesses. You're not in it yet. Well, we're all going to that too. How is your faith? Do you doubt? Do you fear? Do you struggle with the reality of God? Or are you convinced? Are you sure? Are you certain? And are you living a life that allows your faith to lead you in the direction that God is pushing you? Where are you at tonight?
Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood? Like William said this morning, there's, the Bible's pretty clear. You have to be reborn. And you're reborn because you die to yourself through baptism and you're raised in the newness of life. A new creation. And that makes you part of us. That makes you part of all. I know many of us have, have done that. And I know many of us don't face the things I put in blue, which were the hardships that so many Christians before us have had to deal with. But do you have a faith that could withstand it? Do you have a faith that does allow you to go through hardships and not dwindle under that pressure? Would you refuse to be let out of a life sentence? Would you refuse to be let out of certain death because you'd rather die than miss out on heaven or would you denounce God so you could have a longer life? What would you do? That's the type of faith that God not only commends, says the world's not even worthy of. It's radical, but it's in the Bible. Where are you at tonight? Is there something that's hindering you? Is there something that's binding you up and holding you back, keeping you from being able to move forward, not just in any direction, but in the direction that God wants you to go? If there's any need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. Thanks, Matt. It's been a good study of those who uh, to listen to God and follow what His will is, uh, regardless of what that is. Uh, like I said, towards the end of the story, it gets pretty, pretty tough on what you have to do to follow God sometimes. Uh, we use that as an example, and we'll continue with that with the Hall of Witnesses, um, the Cloud of Witnesses. Uh, grab yourself a bulletin if you can. Um, a couple of things we'll announce on these. 
On the prayer list, I know Gail Griffin, uh, add her to your prayer list, pray for her health. Uh, Sandy Tagdo had a triple bypass surgery on Friday over at uh, Advent Health. Uh, I heard there was no complications, so continue to pray for her, Mickey and Brian and Chad and the grandkids. Uh, Sue Coleman Sharp had a heart cath on Friday. I saw her here this morning, so she's doing okay. Bob Smilvin had a heart cath. They put in a stent. So, and Calvin Noble Jr. Nobles Jr. had gallbladder surgery um, on Friday too. So keep all those people in their prayers for their recovery, for their continued health. Um, also pray for uh, pray for those who are who suffered loss. Elvie uh, lost her mom in the Philippines. She was already over there in the country. Um, and Maxine Ormiston passed away Wednesday. Um, Maxine and Alvin, they've been members here, I don't know, forever is probably my best guess because they were members when I was here. I know that. So first got here. Um, so Alvin said he hasn't set any anything up for services yet, so keep an ear out for that. Um, I know he, he was interested in having it here so people could have the live stream to reach out if they couldn't travel. Um, next week, prison ministry. Chris Carter is coming next next week. He will do at 9 o'clock. He'll be in here to give a report on the Church of Christ prison ministry. It's always a great report. It's always great to hear the, the changed lives. Uh, a lot of people who you just write off, but uh, Gary Wider's always done a fun job. Uh, Chris Carter spoke last time. I'm sure it'll be good. And then Chris is going to give the invitation. He's going to give the uh, sermon on Sunday at 10. Uh, Thanksgiving baskets, we're doing that for kind of in-house, kind of small. If you need a basket, see Wanda Fitzgerald. If you'd like to donate to help get Thanksgiving baskets to those who are needy in need here at the church, see me or Charlie or William. So, um, Wendy, tomorrow is food pantry. So they need help, especially in the morning, but they'll use help any day, any part of the day you can get here. So food pantries tomorrow. Elders, deacons, servants, minister meeting on Thursday night at 7. And next week is senior, adult, game day. Don't miss out. This time, coming time, it's tic-tac-toe. There's a sign-up sheet. Don't put your name. Just put an X or an O. That way we know who you are. So, anyways, stay faithful. See you all later. Oh, Wednesday night. James chapter 3, The Unbridled Tongue. If you're able, please stand. Lead the song before the closing prayer. Be faith of our fathers. <clears throat> faith of our fathers.
Holy Father in heaven, as we close out this day, help us to remember that at the end of the day, what we have is you and your son and your spirit and each other. Help us to trust in you and to love each other. Help us to do the things that are pleasing in your sight, but that are evidenced by the world in how we treat each other. Thank you for your love, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.